Welcome to AgTech 360, where we take a 360-degree view into emerging agriculture technologies of today and tomorrow. Our host, Adrian Percy, helps us to create robust dialogue among stakeholders in academia, industry, and extension, including researchers, growers, producers, and the overall agriculture sustainability community. AgTech 360 is brought to you by North Carolina State University, CIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. All right, so this is Adrian Percy with AgTech360, and today I am delighted to do a coast-to-coast pod with uh, my friend and a colleague in certain circumstances, uh, Kirk Haney. Kirk, thank you so much for your time. Adrian, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So I think you're in sunny uh, San Diego, a beautiful part of the world. August in San Diego is a great time of the year to be here, that's for sure. And the sun is out today. Chapel Hill, North Carolina is not so bad, but I am a little bit jealous. So, uh, But it's lovely to talk to you and, <laughs> and talk to you know someone with a really interesting background. And I'm going to let you talk a little bit about yourself. But what I know about you, you've been running Radical Growth as managing partner for a number of years very successful outfit doing some interesting investments in early stage companies, impact investment, running the Radical Challenge, which I'm very familiar with as well, which is a really exciting way of connecting with many companies across a particular sector. Uh, but you've also had a history as well as an entrepreneur and worked with numerous companies. I think even before that, you've worked in technology and in finance. So a very, very rich history. But I wanted to start off by just kind of going back to the start and how you got started in ag. Yeah, and that is that is is a very long and curious route, that's for sure. But Radical Growth, as you mentioned, we call ourselves a company building platform. And what that means, instead of just being an investor, yes, we provide capital for early stage companies, but it's really the company building expertise that we have around the table. And that's in large part because everyone involved with Radical has been an entrepreneur, an operator one way or another. I personally have done four startups and had three exits as a part of the management team. So really understanding what it's like to be on the other side. And I think coming into Radical and leading Radical, that's something that we felt as specifically at an early stage was missing in, in the ag and food tech ecosystem was, you know, you can't just be a passive investor in the space and being on the board is not being an active investor. And we say active investor, it's providing the right amount of capital to fund the right strategy to help the entrepreneur be as successful as they possibly can. And I think the Radical ecosystem is phenomenal, not only in-house, but our, our network of C-level executives at large corporates. We We've co-invested with over 100 firms around the world. And I think you mentioned, thankfully, the Radical Challenge. That's been a phenomenal way for us to connect, not only with entrepreneurs around the world, but really build an ecosystem of partners for whatever entrepreneurs might need, whether it's access to human capital, obviously financial capital, but also those various corporate resources or even government resources to help them be successful. You know, and coming back to your question, so I'm born and raised in Salinas, California, which is also known as the salad bowl of the world. So thousands and thousands of acres and thousands and thousands of hectares, depending on where you are in the world, growing specialty produce. So whether you have Driscoll's headquartered in Watsonville, so producing their berries, or Church Brothers doing a lot of distribution, Taylor Farms is headquartered in Salinas. So a lot of these names that many people have heard of are actually headquartered in Salinas. I went to elementary school with some of the top produce producers in the world. And now they're all C-level executives running these companies and we're good friends first. 
and then business colleagues and, and work together second. And I can remember, you know, driving down Highway 68 in Salinas, California, and my mom telling me, do you see that out there? I kind of was a little bit bored as a seven-year-old. She goes, that's black gold. I said, what do you mean, mom? She said, see how black and dark and rich that soil is, the color of that soil? She goes, that's black gold. That's worth a lot because that's what we use to produce our food in that great, healthy, nutritious soil is why we can eat such healthy food. And that helps people all over the world. And so that always stuck with me. Here I am at 49 years of age talking about the story mm-hmm. when I was sitting in the backseat of my mom's car and she's talking about black gold. And, you know, I personally grew up in Salinas. I went to Salinas High School. I grew up on a ranch. So I always like to say I had horses, dogs, cats, steers, ducks, and snakes and lizards. So that's kind of my background, even though I, a lot of people don't always think that. So one of the things that really strikes me, I mean, California being this kind of interface with such a tremendous reputation, maybe the home of venture capital investment, but then at the same time being such a diverse and productive agricultural area. So how do those two interface when it comes to ag tech? Because as you say, you've grown up with a lot of folks, you've gone in more into the uh, investment side, you've got friends who are in the production side, but how do those two kind of come together in, in a real sense? It's a great question, Adrian, and I would say they don't. I would just come out and put a stake in the ground and say they don't. Silicon Valley is an incredible place. Within a 50-mile radius, you have great entrepreneurs, great universities, great venture capitalists, and acquirers of a lot of those great technologies. Silicon Valley is very localized when you think about it. Yes, there are VC firms popping around the world, but that ecosystem is very local. And whenever they've made a foray into ag or food tech, they've been burned. It doesn't move as fast historically, right? It takes too long to find the right deals. Farmers are pragmatic. You show farmers a technology that that it works and they buy it. So there's just a process to demonstrating to a grower that certain technologies work. So we see that there's a huge gap even between venture in the state of California and the ag and food producers in the state of California. Now that's a big part of where Radical comes in because you know I personally have done four startups and had three exits. I've raised over $200 million in venture capital and private equity. And I always like to say I've made every mistake on the planet. So I've gone through Sand Hill Road and venture capital and been told no so many times. I know what that feels like. Like, and I know what traditional VCs are looking for. I've also been on the production side. You know, I built a 50,000 acre sustainable forestry project in Central America, in large part because of my passion for the space, my passion for sustainability, and being able to bridge some of those gaps together. And in the formation of Radical, it's really trying to take that experience in the investment in venture capital industry, the need in ag and food tech. You know, in 2016, McKinsey said ag is the least digitized industry in the world, and they reiterated that in 2018. And it's true, but that's not going to be that way forever. I think there's a unique opportunity opportunity now between helping the traditional venture capital ecosystem get up to speed and get integrated with not only California agriculture, but global agriculture. And that's another thing I'll highlight. It's not about California innovation. It's not about United States innovation. You know, I talked about the Silicon Valley as we see it for high tech. There's no Silicon Valley for ag or food tech. I'll say that again. There's no Silicon Valley for ag or food tech. You have food grown around the world. You have subsidies provided to food producers and technology development around the world. You have universities getting patents granted around certain technologies around the world, and you have acquirers of these technologies around the world. Ag and food technology development innovation is truly global, and that's where you have to have that global thinking, global reach. And again, if you're a traditional venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, that's hard, right? If you're looking to invest in sustainable technology, how are you really going to look around the world and find the best entrepreneur, the best technology, and then give them the right capital and the right network to help them be successful? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's a really interesting point you make. You see the investors, whether 
whether in venture capital or private equity, not necessarily geographically kind of clustered in Silicon Valley, but you're seeing them in the Midwest, you're seeing them in Europe, you're seeing them all over the world. But also, as you say, the companies which they're investing in really are coming from very diverse places. And whether it's uh, Australia or New Zealand or Israel, some parts of Europe, South America, more and more, it is a fascinating global kind of phenomenon of ag tech right now. Based on the West Coast there, how do you connect with those companies? I mean, if I'm running a two-person company in Israel, I mean, how am I going to connect with radical growth? I think that's one of the reasons traditional Silicon Valley has shied away from ag and food tech investing. Not completely, but how do you find that diamond in the rough? As a professional investor, it's really about finding the greatest entrepreneur that you're going to support to help solve this challenge. That great entrepreneur, like you said, might be in Israel, might be in Egypt, New Zealand, might be in Singapore. How do you reach them? And, and at Radical, and that's one of the reasons we launched the Radical Challenge, we saw the opportunity of finding these entrepreneurs worldwide and how do we connect with them? So for us, we'll have an investment these which is a fancy way of saying we have a philosophy around something that's important in the agricultural ecosystem, in transforming our food system. And what we'll do is based on that thesis, we'll design something called the Radical Challenge. Now, the Radical Challenge is perceived as a pitch day competition, which indeed it is, but we're putting real money to work there. You know, the winner of the Radical Challenge will invest a million dollars. That's truly meaningful capital for an entrepreneur. And what that does is that really makes entrepreneurs from around the world take notice. So we've been very effective in building our global brand and connecting with those entrepreneurs because we're putting meaningful capital to work. And rest assured, we're not investing a million dollars on a 15 or 20 minute pitch. That's the outcome of a lot of diligence. These things usually take about nine to 12 months to put together between having our investment thesis, building the challenge, having the market intelligence around, knowing what we're looking for, and then casting the net very broad. And so if we have great entrepreneurs from Israel or Australia or Singapore or China or California, for that matter, we can bring them all to the table at once. So what is those kind of magic ingredients you're looking for in an investable company or a company you want to support growth? What you'll hear from all investors is you want to see a big market opportunity. And in our world, that's greater than a billion dollar market opportunity. You want to see some technology solution to that. And this is where it gets tricky with our industry and food system transformation versus more traditional industries. More traditional industries, you might have two people in a great idea and within four months, they have a product. When we're trying to transform our food system, having a proof of concept and having some proof that that technology works in hand might take a year to two years versus two people in an idea and enterprise software. You always want to see a great team. You can't always have the most perfect team, but you're looking for somebody that really has high emotional intelligence. And what we mean by that is coachability. You know, we at Radical, we don't have all the answers, but we have access to the people who do. And so we always like to give feedback to entrepreneurs, see how they process that feedback. Again, we may not be right, but how that entrepreneur handles that feedback is very important because the two most important things for an early stage company that's negative cash flow are customers and investors. So how you engage with us is also how you're going to engage with customers. Are you a deal maker? And guess what? If you're not a deal maker, that's okay. Just raise your hand. We'll find a deal maker and bring them into your company. That's part of our company building expertise. So on the EQ side, we want to see that coachability. We also want to see some kind of domain expertise. So are you really the expert in this subject? Have you experienced the pain of this problem? And therefore, do you have a lot of passion about the solution? If your number one goal from starting a company is you want to get rich, that's not the right passion because this stuff is really hard. That's okay to want to get rich and starting a company and taking it public and selling it and transforming your financial future forever. That's great. I don't have any issue with that, but that can't be the number one reason. 
Talk to me a little bit about some of the technologies that you're seeing. I mean, I know you're investing right across the horizontal of ag tech through to food tech. You're very interested in sustainability, which is clearly a very hot area of investment right now. I'm sure you're seeing a whole host of companies, some of which you would have chosen to invest in, others you will have chosen not to. But tell me some of the things that you're seeing or companies that you're seeing that really get you excited. We get about a thousand deals a year coming into our platform, of which 60% of those are international, meaning non-US, right? So we see a lot of deals. And so your question is like, so what gets us excited? That's such a huge volume of, of deal flow. What I like entrepreneurs to understand is we are not always looking for reasons to say yes initially. We're looking for reasons to say no. We make three to four investments a year and we see a thousand deals a year. So think about what it's like to be in our shoes. Rest assured, having been in the entrepreneur shoes, I'm very empathetic. We coach our entrepreneurs, especially around capital formation, around how to work with VCs and how to pitch VCs to bring in following capital. So I'll start with that is we have an investment thesis right now around sustainability, looking at various carbon. Another interesting thing that we look for are technologies that are coming out in three years and how those could positively and or negatively affect our current food system. So we like to think about things like edge computing. Edge computing is the power of cloud computing in the palm of your hand, as I like to say it. So if you can start making that real-time decision-making on the farm, on that piece of equipment, on that drone, where the farmer or grower producer or shipper or packer is making real-time risk-adjusted decisions, that's pretty powerful. Edge computing is not quite there yet, but it will be. And so we're always going into market with some form of view of the future. And then how do we make investments that if we're right, we're really successful. And then even if we're wrong, Adrian, we try to design these around, even if we're wrong in our thesis, that we're still successful. I'll give you a specific example, supply chain. Right now, because of the pandemic and other sustainability issues, we're looking at shortening supply chains. My view is that's going to continue, but we're one recession away from going back to long, very efficient supply chains that may be not considered as sustainable. So when we're investing in supply chain technology, we're looking for an entrepreneur and a technology that wins in both a long or short supply chain environment. And so that's another thing for entrepreneurs to think about how professional investors think about it, right? We might see a trend in shortening supply chains, but if that changes, we want to win in whatever supply chain technology we invest in. Something else that's interesting, and I'll give you a very specific company, and they just announced uh, a little over $10 million Series A, which we were in their seed round is a company called Aroma. And this is an area where people aren't really paying attention and also they don't know the capability exists. What Aromics does is they digitize taste and smell. Think about all the applications in your life where you're tasting or smelling something. Think about how Amazon says, hey, you bought product X, so we think you would like product Y. Think about Amazon Fresh and Whole Foods and Bristol Farms, some of the other lines. They can start making food recommendations based on your flavor profiles. Super fascinating. Think about all these tasting panels. If you're a food or beverage company or maybe alternative protein, since that's such a hot space right now, if you're a plant-based burger company and you've got on average of 18 ingredients today, and by the way, the reason they have all these ingredients is they don't taste very good. They're adding salt, you're adding sugar, you're adding fat. But think if you can start playing with other ingredients, which all of them are. They're all doing a great job trying to think about how do we reduce our ingredients? Rather than run people through that, just think if you could have a technology basically using the, the equivalent of a human nose and olfactory senses to tell you, yes, this ingredient list works and people will like it. Even if that just gives you more shots on goal, meaning it speeds up your development of new products and you still ultimately finish with the tasting panel. F&B companies could save hundreds of millions of dollars a year in product development by leveraging this technology. That's Aromics. They're based out of Santa Clara. They are doing some really interesting things and they just announced a big round of funding. So that's fine. But you know, full disclosure, they're a portfolio company of ours. You know, no, I love it. I mean, what, as you say, so many applications for something like 
like that. And when I heard, first heard of that company, what, a year ago, two years ago now, I was blown away. And as you say, you start to think about what was previously the unthinkable. If they have a technology that really is robust, then yeah, this could be you know very exciting. Are there any other examples you want to share of companies either that you've invested in or that you're following that you, know, you think have those types of transformational technologies? When we think about food system transformation, there are technologies, there are business models. And I think on the business model side, a company called Full Harvest, which again, full disclosure is one of our portfolio companies, their vision is to be the Amazon of produce. So what does that mean? They are able to create a marketplace for people to buy and sell produce. It sounds very simple. That's been successful in so many industries. Hasn't really been successful until now in the food and ag space and specifically specialty produce. And they did a great job starting with number two produce and connecting them with juice companies. And that business model, again, so think about buying products on Amazon or eBay or other marketplaces, right? That just seems normal day to day for us. But in the food and ag space, you know, a lot of orders are still placed via email and believe it or not, fax. And there are a lot of personal relationships, a lot of them personal friends of mine. So relationships really matter in any industry, but really long, multi-generational relationships in business and food and ag. But we like seeing those new business models. Another one I really like is a, one of our portfolio companies is Biolumic. So this is a company, as you know, Adrian, that's basically treating young plants with light and stressing them just moderately with light to where it creates an immune response in those plants. So it's a hardier plant. What a lot of people don't think about in perfect weather conditions, yeah, everyone makes a gazillion dollars in producing agricultural food products. It's when things don't go right, when there's a weather event. What I love about Biolumic is it's almost like giving it a vaccine. And now when there's an adverse weather event or an adverse pathogen, the Biolumic treated plants are hardier, stronger, and continue to produce yield while their peers around them do not. And that's light. You know, there's no inserting of genes, knocking out genes. This is light just causing a little stress in the plant. And people, I think, even in ag and food, aren't even thinking about technology and capabilities like that. Yeah, it's another great example. And I actually had Jason Wargent, who's the CSO of uh, Biolumic on this pod a few months ago. And some of his original ideas, you know, were quite controversial because as you say, challenging plants with UV light was seen to be not advantageous, but it's not how things have actually turned out, at least when you're using rather small doses. And as you say, it's a really exciting company. Another example of a company that is coming from another part of the world, literally as far as you can get away from here. So they're based down in, uh, in New Zealand, but doing tremendously well. Yeah, another great example. The last question I have for you, Kirk, is... You mentioned the connections that you have with the ag industry to be very important in really understanding where and how to invest. And I really get that. And in your everyday conversations, I guess, that you have with your former schoolmates in Salinas and other places, I mean, are there areas that you're now discerning that are real pain points for growers, for producers, that you're looking for companies that may be working in those areas and that perhaps you haven't seen yet that kind of perfect uh, setup and that magic mix of entrepreneur and idea and circumstance that you described earlier. What are the areas you're hungry to see more in? I think kind of coming back to the main areas of focus for us, sustainability, carbon, climate, really understanding that and what that means for growers, especially for the best stewards of our land. How do we get them credit for being great stewards of the land? I think personally having a passion for transforming our food system. You know, I've been a longtime surfer. I'm from Salinas. I don't like to believe the hype. For example, what Jason Wargent went through at Biolumic, you know, the smartest people in the world told him why he was wrong. And it's like, well, 
Let's look at the data and guess what? That's how we learn and grow. So it's one thing to have an opinion. It's one thing to actually go out there and prove it. And that's where technology investing is really interesting because we have everyone around the table that says it won't work. And then we go run the experiment and we're able to get it to work. And that's like really fun and exciting. So whether it's climate sustainability and how that's affecting our food system and how do we help farmers navigate that and monetize that, get credit for the great things that they're doing. How do we help them integrate new technologies? And I think one thing I'm hearing consistently from anyone in our food system across the value chain, but specifically growers is, I have all this data, but it's siloed. It's not talking to one another. So thank you vendor X, Y, and Z for gathering all this data, but it's not helping me make better decisions in our farm. You know, we used to say a few years ago, Adrian, you remember, hey, thanks for the satellite imagery that shows me where all my plants are dead. <laughs> you know, It's like, thank you. That's not really helpful, right? Hey, can you show me where my my corn is stressed or my strawberries are stressed so I can roll a truck, roll a drone, go take action. And do something about it. And, you know, kind of coming to the importance of an investment thesis as a company in our portfolio called Leaf Ag. Coming from the IT world, I started my career almost 10 years in technology and I watched us connect the enterprise. So whether it's hardwiring computers so you get access to databases, now that's all wireless and seeing how we're constantly connected via data, whether it's 5G, 5GE, 4G, Wi-Fi you name it, we're connected in our consumer lives. We're not very connected on the farm. And you'd be amazed at how many phone calls when I'm in Salinas driving to my parents' house, my phone calls drop. The farms are still not connected really well. But when I talk about those siloed data sets, if we can integrate those in a way where the satellite imagery, the field boundaries, the agronomist report all get rolled up together. And so that farmer can make better risk-adjusted decisions. There will never be a perfect decision on a farm. There are weather events, there are pathogens, but it's all about pulling those levers to make risk-adjusted decisions. So I think seeing those technologies integrate and based on my technical background, we invested in a company called LeafAg that does exactly that. So if you think about Venmo, you know, Venmo doesn't care what bank you're on or I'm on, we can send each other a hundred bucks, no problem, and deposit in our bank account. On the farm, if vendor X generates data and vendor Y generates data, they don't talk to one another and you have to hire an IT person to get them talked to. Think about doing that in an automated way like Venmo. That's what LeafAg does. When we see real problems on the farm, like generating data isn't the issue, getting the data to interoperate and then actually used for decision support. Those are some of the biggest areas. Thanks for those insights, Kirk. I want to really thank you for your time. Wish you a lot of luck with these wonderful companies you've been describing. And thanks again for everything you've just provided. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's been a pleasure to be here to be with your audience today. Cheers. AgTech 360 is a product of North Carolina State University, SIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. This episode was produced by Kayla Pack-Watson with host Adrian Percy and Center Director Dr. Denatia Seth Carley. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AgTech360 and send us questions and comments to agtech360 at gmail.com. With AgTech360, we take a 360-degree view inside emerging agriculture technologies that matter. Thanks for listening.